when I lost my husband a couple years ago, it was really tough. Losing friends, loved ones from my 20s onward, it would just compound that PTSD and I had no release to get rid of it. Welcome to the Overcoming PTSD podcast. My name is Brad Shipke. I am so excited for today's interview and podcast for you today because I interviewed one of our clients, Teresa Hall, who made an incredible transformation. She fully recovered from the grief and the loss of her husband. And I really got, I'm really excited to share this with you because I've really dug into all of the nitty gritty uh, tactics and strategies and tools and mindset and beliefs and principles that allowed her to fully heal. And I believe you will get a lot of value out of this because she is somebody who fully healed and hearing somebody's story who not only went, went through tremendous hardship, but came out the other side successful. That's where you can learn so many lessons. And that's why I want to do these podcasts is not to just share traumatic stories, but share you stories of people who hit the hit rock bottom, hit their lowest, the lowest point of their life and came back from it 100%. So I hope this interview inspires you. It inspired me. I'm pumped up. Dive in and enjoy. Welcome, Teresa. Great to have you here on the podcast. I'm so excited to interview you. I know like we've known each other for a long time, obviously, but um, I'm excited to dig into your story, learn the lessons. And I think a lot of people who are listening right now will get a lot, a, get a lot from your story because you were in a pretty broken place as most of us were, and now we're fully recovered, right? Yeah. Like, and for those of you who don't know, or Teresa was a client of ours. So Teresa, where were you before all this happened. So like, tell us, tell us like a little bit about your story, um, beforehand, like when you had PTSD, how you got PTSD and things like that. I think my PTSD started as a young child. Um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have my grandparents into my twenties before I started losing them. But, um, I would have dreams about death. So I always had a fear of death. And then um, when the inevitable finally came, um, I was basically told that my grief was not important. Mm. So I never learned how to properly grieve for anyone. So then when I lost my husband a couple of years ago, it was really tough, and that just added to the PTSD. So, you know, losing friends, loved ones from my 20s onward, it would just compound that PTSD that I would have, and I had no release to get rid of it. Mm. So, it all just compounded, yeah. so to speak. So, you, you just you had this fear of death, and then you lost person after person after person and it just was pent up inside of you right yeah yeah that grief just built and built yeah and so how, i was it, never one to release emotions mm. so not knowing how to release emotions didn't help it either yeah which as we we learned was a huge part of it right right that, like when that, you were finally able to access those emotions it yeah changed everything right yeah that was the biggest part of my ptsd was mm. Not only not knowing how to grieve, but not knowing how to safely release the emotions to go along with the grief. And a lot of it's the same thing, right? Yeah. 
because if you're not a lot like if you're told that you know your your grief wasn't important or your emotions weren't important then it's all just stuck inside of you and the grief will stay inside of you right yep yeah so what about like what was your biggest so if releasing emotions was one of the biggest things that helped you along your journey right yeah what prevented you from releasing your emotions in the beginning why was it so important then how did you actually get yourself to do that because that's a big sticking point for a lot of people you know like a mm-hmm. lot of people find themselves i sure did where your entire life you push emotions down you push emotions down you invalidate them or other people invalidate them and you never truly get to express them or you're scared to express them so how did you you know go through all that well mine's kind of a twofold thing one was uh getting into the uh, broken to unbreakable program and actually doing the work um you know i i would say that for me it's going to sound weird but having routines in place mm-hmm. was a big first step because that allowed me time to actually sit down journal um do some um healing work through protectors and introspective healing mm-hmm. um between those three things and having the routines in place where I had a set time that I could go in and actually set, sit down and work through everything. Mm. That that probably helped me the most. Okay. So setting setting aside that time so mm-hmm. that you could focus specifically on your healing. So yes. you weren't doing that before. No. Right? Why? No. Um, I didn't know that that how important that was. Mm. Yeah, you know, I did not know how to heal. Yeah, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have a therapist who was telling mm. me the same thing that the program was, mm-hmm. but it took months of listening to you got you and Kayleen talk about the importance of routines and months of hearing my therapist talk about it before it finally sank mm. in that if you really want to heal, the first step is to have a good routine. Yeah. To actually put in the time, right? Yes. And that's something I wanted to talk about too, your therapist, because something it's actually unusual, which I like, I wish it wasn't unusual, but <laughs> an unusual thing is, you know, finding a good therapist. So I do want, I actually, that's something I wanted to talk to you about on the interview too, is like, I wanted to dig in to you know, what made your therapist so good, uh, the things that they did. Um, cause a lot of times when people join the program too, they're with a therapist and sometimes, you know, the person who's actually healing is outpacing and outlearning their therapist very quickly. But it seems yeah. like the therapist that you had really kept you on the same level and had the goal of full recovery, which unfortunately, again, is not a, a, a goal of many therapists as well. So I do want to dive into that, but uh, sure. I still want to keep digging into, uh, the routine thing, because that was really important for you, taking the time. So yes. like I, I asked, you know, why didn't she do it before? Because a lot of people don't do it before. Or like yeah. a lot of people don't take the time to actually put in the work, whatever the work is, even if it's just journaling, even if it's just thinking, right? Because really, like you said, introspective healing, that's a tool that we teach in the program. 
But really, that's just a way of logically thinking and putting yourself into the that dark place and logically thinking through it and making sense of it and finding out why it's happening. But a lot of people don't do that. So you said like you didn't know that it was important. Was was there also an element of fear? And maybe that fear came from, like you said, not knowing the tools or was it really just like you were unaware of, hey, this thing is really impacting me and I need to spend time to fix it. And it's that important. You know, I was... I was signed up into the program for almost a year before I really delved into it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was fear. Mm. Yeah. You know, what would happen if, you know, I actually found my true self. You mm. know, you know, uh, you and Kayleen talk about this in the program. You know, we're, we're negative people by trait. We've always got that fight flight response. Mm. And that comes from the prehistoric times, you know, with you had to find your food, you had to do this. And, you know, it was a, for me, it was kind of that same response, you know, why do I want to change the way I am? Why should I stop being negative? I've been this way all my life mm. and it's worked so far. But mm. I can tell you now when those negative thoughts crop, crop in and pop up in my head, it's it's like the, I ask myself three couple basic questions. I don't know mm. exactly how many. First question is, is this a justified response? Mm. And if it's not turn it into a positive response. If it is justified, I ask myself, what can I learn from this? And then once I write down the lesson to learn, I keep writing it down until it becomes a positive. Mm. When you say you keep writing it down until it becomes a positive, like the mm-hmm. lesson is like ingrained in you? Is that yeah. what you mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's a great process right there. Right. I mean, for anybody listening, I like, what do you mean by, is this justified? Like, is this a rational way to view this, this exactly. experience or is this thought a rational thought? Yeah. Right. So like, is this thought justified? Is this thought ju- uh, rational? If it's not rational, what do you do? Cause you said, if yes, you, you said, what can you learn from it? If it's not a rational, th- like, okay, let's say uh, you trip and fall. Mm-hmm. And you and you get up. The first word that would come to my mind is "I'm a klutz." Okay. Well, you know what? That's not true. Mm. I'm not a klutz. I just tripped and fell. Mm-hmm. It, it's no big deal. Yeah, objectively, um, just tripped and fell. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, next time I'll be looking for. I'm going a little bit care- more careful. Okay. That type of you know. You know, that's not a justifiable response. Now then, and, you know, a justified response was you make a mistake at work. Now, and, you know, what the, my, your, my response would be, well, that was a dumb thing to do. And the response would be, well, was that a justified response? Well, yeah, it was kind of justified. So what can we what lesson can we learn 
to make sure we don't make that mistake again. Mm. See, that's and, it's interesting the way that you put that too, because a lot of people would say like, what did you say? I, I did something dumb, right? I did something yeah. dumb. They would say that that's, that's not justified. Well, but right? you made, yeah, but you made the mistake. So. Right. But that's the, that's the important piece there yeah. because you're acknowledging the mistake, mm-hmm. right? Whether or not somebody wants to call it dumb or not, whatever, you know, yeah. mistake, I did something wrong. I did something dumb, but you're just acknowledging the reality, right? Mm-hmm. Of the situation, which makes it rational. Yes. Right? And the way that you said that, I think other people can interpret it as, oh, you're beating yourself up, but you're not. You're just taking that, like your mistake, viewing it objectively and be like, yes, I did make a a mistake, accepting it, not beating yourself up, not causing more suffering for yourself, asking yourself what you can learn from that, right? And then that's what you would take and write down again. Correct. Yeah. So that's awesome. So if you ask, is this justified or is this true or is this rational? And it's no. You look at it, you try to look at it objectively, right? Yes. This is what it seems like. You try to remove the emotions and just see the truth. So try to cut through all the fog. Do you have like a yes. strategy in doing that? Or is it kind of just second it, nature to you? Now it's second nature. At first mm-hmm. it was at first it was I would have to go through and wait to my, you know, kind of put that on the back burner, say yes, I'm I know I made a mistake and I will deal with that during my healing routine. And then whenever the time came to deal with it, I would sit there and I would have to actually sit down and ask the questions. Okay. So what circumstances led to this mistake? What can we do to, um, fix it for the next time? Yeah, you know, it was a mm-hmm. it was a long process that it took me several hours to actually finally and lots of trial and error to get to a process that actually worked for me mm. to you know kind of shorten it. But it was you know it was because I had the same problem was well it's not my fault, right? You know, I was given the wrong information, right? You no, know, it's so and so's fault. It's it's this person's problem, not mine. Mm. But, you know, that never really helped me. So, you know, I would, I had to sit down. I had to go through the kind of the blaming everyone else before it came down to, well, yeah, you know, you may have been given wrong information. Yeah. You know, it, this person could have explained things better, but the mm. ultimate person was, did I ask the right questions to clarify before I started doing this? Mm-hmm. So that's basically, that yeah. 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 So in the beginning it was, a, it was a very much, it was, it was a much more manual process that you had to go through mm-hmm. the time that you already dedicated and set aside. So you already had that routine in place. So yes. when you face this event in your life, which I imagine is, is that like a, a trigger? So like you get triggered and then do you ask yourself, oh, like you definitely have this, you have this emotional response. And that's when you ask, is this rational or is this true? Or is this justified? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, you made note of that. Yeah. And then dealt with it later during your set aside routine. Mm-hmm. Right? And in the beginning it was much more 
like you had to really think through it because you had the habit of, you know, basically advocating your own responsibility or putting your responsibility onto somebody else. It's yes. their fault. You know, they're to blame. You know, they gave me the wrong information, which, you know, that's where a lot of people start too on, on mm -hmm. recovery. And as you learned, I had to learn it myself too. It's like you eventually, <laughs> like when that's your strategy, you eventually get to a point where it's like, well, everything just keeps getting worse and I keep doing this strategy. So maybe I should try to do something different. Maybe I should try to take some responsibility and like you did earlier, not beat myself up. Well, exactly. And that, that right there is something that's very hard for people starting out to do some people, not, not everybody, but you're, you're very rational. I always enjoy talking <laughs> to you because you're, you're always a very rational person. Um, but having that balance between, I need to acknowledge reality, which can sometimes mean I did something wrong and I made mistakes. A lot of times it is like mm -hmm. we're humans, we're fallible. We make, we make mistakes. And if we can't accept that we make mistakes, then we can't fix those mistakes. And what happens is a lot of people can't even admit that they make mistakes because they beat themselves up so much for, for making them that they're so afraid of even admitting it because of that pain, because of beating themselves up. So then they never admit that they have any faults and they never fix those faults moving forward. And that's something that you were able to do with that line of questioning. Yeah. And also you said that, so in the beginning it was, it was very manual and then it became automatic, but you said that it was, um, how did you put it? You had to go through a process of trial and error, right? Mm -hmm. To to compress it, right? To yeah. the point where right now you can just view something and know or go through the process really quickly, mm -hmm. which is, that's another really cool thing too, because it's a skill over time, just like riding a bike or anything else. And a lot of people don't think of like mental skills in that way, where it's like thinking yeah. rationally is a skill and it takes time. Just like if you put, you know, a five-year-old on a two-wheeler bike, you're not going to expect them to, you know, win the tour <laughs> to France. It's like, you know, they're going to fall <laughs> over probably immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, what was that process like for you? Was it uh was it challenging or was it just something that you just kept plugging away at? Because that's a big part of it. I found too, is like, there is that, that element of trial and error that we all have to go through to some degree. Cause it's that it, skill development. It was challenging, you know, using your bike analogy. I fell off the bike several times, <laughs> um, you know, cause it always went back to, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You know, I had mm. to really dig deep yeah. into myself to realize that, you know, it, you know, no matter whose fault it is, there's still some blame mm. on yourself because you're the one that actually did the work and made the mistake. Right. You know, you so, were there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if 99% of the Blame belongs on the other person. Mm -hmm. You still had your part of it. And it took me, I'd say, a good three months to finally realize mm. that aspect of it that, you know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> yeah. As much as I wished I was, I'm not perfect. I, I am. Um, I make mistakes just like the next person does. Mm -hmm. And okay. yeah. and you have to own those mistakes and learn from or choose mm -hmm. to learn from them. You know, that's part of that. Um, now, for me, that was a big part of my growing experience mm. was learning from the 
mistakes. And that falls into the grief work that I've been doing as well. Um, mm. You know, yes, it was a mistake for me to not stand up for myself and allow myself to grieve and allow myself to have those emotions. Mm. So let's dive into that. Okay. Like allowing yourself to have those emotions. Yeah. That's honestly, there's times that I still struggle with the emotional part of life. Um, you know, the, the positive emotions, I got those down pat. Hey, that's the, good. Yeah. The, that is good. The quote unquote negative emotions is the part that I still struggle some with. Not as much, but, you know, um, there for a while, you could just look at me a certain way and I'd just start boohooing because mm. I did not know when was a good time to release those emotions and when was a good time to hold those emotions in. Yeah. Now, um, emotional control is a huge thing that I've learned just over the last three months. Mm. After not being able to do hardly any emotional release at all mm. for most of my adult life. So yeah. When you, yeah. So when you say emotional control, you mean the ability to control your emotions and allow them to be expressed, right? Yes. Because a lot of people, when they say emotional control, the I, I, I think the prevailing belief around that is shoving it down, <laughs> no. right? So it's like the opposite. Which yes. Is, yeah. Yeah. And I believe that same, I'll call it a lie because it truly is. I believe that same lie that, you know, emotional control was just shoving it down Yeah. for years. You know, before mm -hmm. January, I can count on one hand how many times I cried for my husband. Mm. I can't tell you how many times I've cried for all my loved ones that I've lost since January, because I don't know. But I've also learned when it's appropriate and when it's you know, time to just, you know, you know, if something comes up, if a memory shows up during my work day, it's like, you know what, I see you. I don't really have time to talk to you right now and mm. with this memory, but I have time later on today after work where we can sit down and reminisce, mm -hmm. so to speak. So you're still honoring the emotion in the moment when it comes up. Yes. Saying, hey, I see, I see you. I see that. Mm -hmm. You're not pushing it away. You're acknowledging it. Yeah. But you're also controlling it in the moment because mm -hmm. you're at work. Right. And that's yep. not what we're advocating for is like just allowing yourself to be emotional anywhere, anytime, whenever the emotion comes up. Yeah. But you're, you're acknowledging the emotion. And then again, going back to like the beginning, you have that time carved out. So mm -hmm. you're like, I can handle this and actually process this later. Yes. And I have the time to do it. So when you did that, did it diminish the intensity of the emotion? Oh, definitely. The moment? Definitely. Um, it, it would, um, it would 
at first it would kind of linger. And, but, you know, and I would keep telling her the same thing. But now uh, when they pop up, I can just say, you know, they understand, you know, that, hey, I am going to do, I am going to go back and I am going to reminisce and I will allow myself to feel whatever emotions come up Mm. during this time. But now it's just not the appropriate time. Now, another thing that I have found that helped me heal is, uh, you know, there's a book out there called The Body Keeps Score. Mm-hmm. And whether you realize it or not, um, there are certain dates that's going to come up that mm. you're just not going, you know, your body's going to be just down or, you know, you're going to feel out of sorts, so to speak. And with my analytical mind, I'm good with numbers and dates. So I know that there's certain dates that's just going to hit me more than others. So what I do, and I know that those dates are hard, is I just take a mental health day from work. I I put in my request early enough and say, you know what, if I think I'd rather have the date planned to be off and not need it than not have it planned and need it. Mm -hmm. So I I just plan for mental health days around important dates. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a job that understands that. And And I've told them, I said, you know, if it turns out that I'm okay, I'll get up and come to work that day. And then I'll cancel the day off. But if I wake up and I'm not okay, I'm already off. Hmm. So oh, that's know. what you that's what you did in the past. Do you think you'll have to keep doing that moving forward? Because you're like for people I, listening, we start we started we worked together recently one on one. And you made a huge amount of progress and you processed so much stuff. So it's almost going to be like this year is going to be a lot of new discoveries as well with your new self. So I'm I'm curious to see if those days you'll need them. And even if they do come up, you're now equipped to actually solve it in the future. So you won't need them Mm -hmm. in the future if there is any charge that's left over. Right. I, I went ahead and took um, April the third off, which was the day he passed. And, um, but in all honesty, I don't think I'm going to need it. Mm. That's why I say it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Because you've yeah, made so much progress. Yeah. Uh, it's on a Wednesday this year. So it's in the middle of the week. And nobody likes to take off during the middle of the week <laughs> from work. So, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually thinking about going ahead and canceling that day because I honestly don't think I will need that day. Mm. And what you could do is you could mentally put yourself there right? Yeah. and see what emotions come up and pre-process it. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like a lot, like a lot of people think they have to be reactive to, to these dates or to things in the future, but you can bring those forward in your mind and start working with them. If you, if you know it, but yeah, I think that's really cool. And I think you're in a really cool phase right now too because you're you're kind of re re in, I, I call it like reintegration whether that's like a term or not but like you're reintegrating <laughs> into society with your new self yeah you know, so things like you're going to be interacting with things differently 
mm-hmm. people at work, like every, like everything is different. Cause you're, a, you're a new person. Like those dates, yeah. they, they won't affect you in the same way. No. And you're going to be like, wow, this is kind of weird. I don't have to do this thing that I've been doing for, you know, yeah. a long time. Yeah. I don't have to be afraid of these things. Or I don't have to be worried. So yeah. I think the that's flip, really cool. The flip side of it is, and I just thought of this is maybe go ahead and take that day off just as a mental health day, but have a self-care day around it. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll just treat myself to a couple of nice little things mm-hmm. that day. And, you know, and let that be my new routine on that day. Yeah. Now, it could be a good way to honor it too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that part of you. Yeah. I just thought about that. <laughs> it's not so much, you know, it is about remembering Kim on that day, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's also about seeing how far I've came Yeah. in the, in the last three, it'll be the third anniversary, but, um, seeing how far I've came in the three years and celebrating that this year. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I like that idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to keep my day off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> but for a totally different reason now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's, let's talk about like, do you feel like, we should talk more about like the emotional control part or the emotional release and why it was so important to you. Oh, definitely. Um, cause, cause like that there it, it is, it's such, it's a sticking point to, for so many people, Yeah. even people who are in the program. And I like, I tell it to them and I tell them how to do it and I walk them through the process. There's still a lot of resistance to it. So I think if you could talk through the barriers that you faced, in releasing those emotions, how you overcame them and why, like why it's so important. And maybe I'm giving you too many questions of what it felt like before and after, <laughs> uh, but just like that whole uh, process. Well, for me, it's, um, like I said, I'm a very right brain person, mm-hmm. very analytical. I use my brain more than I use my heart. So for me, the emotional part was not easy. Mm. Um, my therapist um, showed me an emotions wheel one time, mm-hmm. and we actually played a game with him and M's. You know, you grabbed the M M&M and M, and then you looked at the color of the M and M, and you found an emotion on the emotions wheel that mm-hmm. kind of corresponded to how that Eminem made you feel. Okay. Um, and for me, that was probably the s- start of being able to feel emotions. Um, uh, Cause at that mm-hmm. point I had the basic three or four emotions, happy, sad, uh, pissed off, mad. <laughs> pissed yeah, off and mad are different. <laughs> they pissed are. Off is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you notice there was only one good emotion in there. Yeah. The happy. Yeah. Now, everything else is considered a quote unquote negative emotion. Mm. Um, and 
you know, I really don't like that word negative emotion because that was what tied me up for so long, you know. You know, you think um hmm. you think that um being overwhelmed is negative is a negative emotion where in fact it could be being overwhelmed could be excuse me just the tip that gets you moved to a better spot on your emotions once you deal with it mm-hmm. you know once you list out why you're overwhelmed um you could find out that you're being overwhelmed with good emotions. You know, that life is just going so well and you're not used to it. That was part of my problem at first. It's true. And yeah. my healing process was, you know, I'm happy. I'm glad. I'm just waiting. I'm overwhelmed by it all and I'm waiting on the other shoe to drop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and once you realize that, you know, those are not necessarily negative emotions, that they're, that there's a time and a place to have those emotions. Mm. You know, if somebody hurts you, for example, and you, you're going to naturally be angry with them, and that anger may be justified. But calling that anger a negative emotion, for me anyway, was a turnoff. You know, okay, so it's a negative emotion. I should not have that emotion. Mm. You know, so it's, so I really don't like that word. But going back to your question, learning that it's okay to be angry at a situation, learning that it's okay to be overwhelmed, it's okay to be sad. It's it's okay to grieve mm-hmm. because grief is an emotion. Um, it's okay to do those things as long as you don't let it rule your life. Mm. You know, it's okay to have those feelings. They just cannot rule the good. The good has to eventually go over the bad mm-hmm. so to speak yeah and that's an important but lesson. in the moment but in the moment it is okay to have those emotions mm-hmm. and it is okay <laughs> to lead with your heart and let your heart feel those emotions yeah. and for me that was the toughest that was the hardest thing for me to do was Stop thinking with this, but listen to this. Mm. And once I started listening to my heart, healing really picked up and moved along. So what did that look like, listening to your heart? Uh, Oh, there were lots of tears. Um, There was a lot of journaling for me. there were a lot of butterfly hugs and introspective healing, mm-hmm. meaning while I was listening to the heart, I was also, you know, doing this number, 
and working it out up here. So it was mm-hmm. kind of a combination of touch, feeling, and analytical. Mm. So I was able to. Yeah, that's it. I was able to use all three to work through the anger, the guilt, the hurt, um, the grief. I was able to use my brain, my heart, mm-hmm. and touch to get through all three of those or all of the yeah. negative emotions mm-hmm. and build a happier me. Mm. It's it's like you're connecting all parts of your, your body and your brain together so they can yes. all make sense. So were you, when you were doing that, were you grounded in the logical mind as you were doing that or? or I would, I would say for me, it, the logical mind is natural for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm always grounded, but I, but I let the heart kind of dictate how I was feeling and then let the mind tell the heart what it needed to heal. Mm. So you're grounded in logic. Yeah. So you're grounded in logic, observing your heart. You made the realization that in order to, to heal, you needed to address these emotions, which was Mm -hmm. represented by uh, you listening to your heart, when you say that, it's like you're allowing those emotions to come up. You're allowing your heart to express itself honestly. Yes. Even though it's irrational or it could be <laughs> irrational, right? Yeah. Which like, that's a, it's a logical process to allow yourself to feel emotions. That's the weird part about this. Even though like emotions tend to be, or like, well, like you say too, quote unquote, negative emotions tend to come from, or unpleasant emotions tend to come from irrational sources or irrational beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very rational process to release your emotions. And I, I actually like, I'm going to start calling it rationally releasing emotions. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I like um, that. Yeah. So, so it was like allowing yourself to honestly express, allowing your heart to honestly express and communicate to you what you truly felt, despite the fact that it was irrational, right? Because yes. that's what happens to, to, to most people, but especially people who have, or who have the tendency to be more analytical is that you logically know something not to be true. You logically that you know you shouldn't be scared or you shouldn't be mad, but you still feel scared or you still feel mad. But you let your logical mind override the emotional mind or in the way that you're saying it, your heart, you allow your your logical mind to override your heart and you push that all away. And when you push that away, you're pushing away all the the problems and you're just keeping all those problems inside of you. Mm -hmm. So what you did is you listened to all of that. You allowed yourself to listen to all of those emotions so that you could you could bring that problem forward and then actually think through it like you said you know kind of sift through it with your logical mind and bring the two two forces together the emotional and the logical but using the logical to help the emotional side of you see the light or see the truth right yeah. and in that yep. process of allowing your heart to express itself you allowed i mean part of that is allowing the emotions to be expressed through your body right mm-hmm. beautiful yeah I really yeah. liked how you said to touch feelings and analytical because that's, I mean, that, that was like a core piece for me as well. 
Um, and sometimes I forget to, to mention the, the, like the bilateral stimulation aspect to that. Yes. Just like with EMDR. Um, but that kind of process can be useful whenever you're releasing emotions or whenever you're accessing, uh, or doing any type of processing. Mm-hmm. So that, that was awesome. I also, I also thought it was interesting when you said like, there's, I don't like the word negative emotions and I can get that. I can get that on board. I can get on board with that because, or I can, I, and I can understand that labeling an emotion as negative caused you to then want to push that emotion away. Right? Yeah. So then by taking a more neutral stance on emotions and just saying, Hey, this is an emotion and it's trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. Let me listen to it. And that yes. allowed you to actually fix that. So yeah. solve whatever problem is there. Yeah. Cool. I wish that was the one thing people would change about the emotions. You know, there's, there's no such thing as a bad or a negative emotion. Mm. There's emotions that can hurt you. If you let, if you bottle them up too long. Yes. Mm. But telling somebody that, and I'll just use hurt for an example, that hurt is a, negative emotion that tells in my logical brain that tells me well then i should never feel hurt mm. no so i i really wish that they would do away with that negative connotation with emotions because if somebody hurts you you're you're going to feel hurt yeah and there's no two ways about it and and my way of thinking, you're allowed to feel that hurt. I have a few a few questions on that. Because like, or a few few things to maybe nuances. Because like, I under I understand your point 100, and I agree with everything you said. Well, except for one thing, I want to dive in on. But um, but there's still the aspect of like you have these emotions, and I'll I'll, I'll do the you know quote negative emotions that you don't want to have. Yeah. Right. Like you don't want to experience hurt and you don't want to experience hurt forever. You don't want to experience pain forever. So there's an aspect to it where and maybe it's just like the language and the language. Cause I didn't personally like that. That wasn't an element for me. The word negative wasn't an element for why I pushed my yeah. emotions away, but I, I can definitely see that. But would you say that like, like there are preferred and not preferred emotions, right? Yeah. That would work, uh, but, you know, you because can, that's, that's actually like a, it's an element of stoic philosophy is that like, there's no good or bad or the only good or bad is like your own, right. your own virtue or vice vices. Yeah. But yeah. Then, and the, thing, the things that are within your control, but the things that are out, outside of your control, there are things that are preferred and not preferred, but it's not, it's, it's still neutral ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I've, the main thing is with with those not preferred emotions you know you you can feel them but you can't let them rule your life you have to mm -hmm. be able to process that hurt in this case and process it and allow it to go into the past mm -hmm. you can't just dwell on it yeah and the funny thing too, also is that you you can't let it rule your life, but when you push it away, it rules your life. Like you, the instinct, the instinct is like, I'm, push this away. I'm not going to let this rule my life by pushing this away. 
right? That's what everybody does because nobody yeah. wants to feel the pain and everybody wants to not show pain to other people, right? Correct. So you push it away. But that very thing of pushing away is what causes it to rule your life. Yeah. yeah. That, which is why you, you do need to deal with it and you need to heal from the hurt and take whatever lesson you may learn from the hurt, mm-hmm. but leave it in the past. Yeah. And the lesson is the logical thought process that you go through, right? So you allow your body, you allow, or you allow your body to express the emotion. You allow your heart to uh, speak to you, the emotion, right? Or like tell you how you tell, talk to you, tell yourself how you feel. Um, and then you analyze everything that's being said by your heart and find the yeah. lesson from that. Yeah. Cool. Now I have another question. Okay. How much time did you spend processing? Do you think? total oh gosh because this uh, is like this is like this is like a mind-blowing i think this will be mind-blowing for a lot of people because one thing that keeps people stuck is they're just not putting in the time just like you said in the very beginning where it's like i wasn't i didn't have a routine i wasn't putting any time into my healing and that's like you're like what changed it's like you started putting in the time right consistently I just, I- I would say uh, I probably put in about 200 hours of processing. 200. Yeah. Yeah. Now. That's pretty cool. Now it's a lot less, but. <laughs> and that's total, right? Yeah, that's total. That's not it's bad. It's probably between 150, 200. When you hear that, does that sound like a lot or a little to you? Ah. Uh, now a little yeah Yeah, right yeah you're like 200 hours (laughs) that's not that's just a drop in the hat right now when i was going through it it was like wow (laughs) now i know that there was one week that or a couple of weeks where i did over 30 hours in a week Mm. um it was a slow time at work and i had plenty of time to uh, do some healing at work. Mm. Yeah. And I'm grateful that I have a job that when it's slow, you know, and not, and you're caught up with everything that you have that little bit of time to do it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, there were days that I'd come home from work and spend all leave you know, spend the four or five hours at night doing yeah. nothing but working on my healing. On top of Amazing. doing maybe a couple hours at work. Mm. But now it's maybe I have allotted two hours still to this day, just in case. But now it's maybe anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes per day. Yeah. It's, is it kind of just keeping up with things Yeah, or new things that come in that are, cause you know, after you heal PTSD, it doesn't mean that life stops and problem stops and you know, there <laughs> are obstacles or there aren't next level things that you can work on or limiting beliefs or even limiting emotions that are preventing you from doing the things you want to do or having the life that you want to have. But now you, you know, the tools so well, so you only have to spend 15, 30 minutes on that 
And yeah. it's, it's just consistent, consistent growth. Cause you just want to keep getting better. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Looking awesome. Perfect example. Um, Thursday, I made the decision to turn off my husband's phone. Mm. I'm, you know, they, it's a process for the cell company to do that. So right now it's still on. But that being stated, you know, after a couple hours after I made the decision, I started having second thoughts. So, you know, and when I got, I acknowledged them. While I was at work, when I got home, um, I did a little bit of uh, bilateral processing with it and introspective healing and spiritual mm-hmm. work. I kind of combine them all now. That's but, Yeah, that's when you know you've mastered it. Yeah. Because you bring the, them all together. Doing the butterfly hug. I did some journaling about it. I talked to my therapist about it and and... At the end of the day, you know, and basically the only thing I talked to my therapist about was, hey, I made this decision. This is what I've done. Mm. And this is how I'm feeling about it now. Mm-hmm. Because by the time I talked to her, I'd already done some of the introspective healing on it and was pretty much okay with it. And then yesterday, I deleted all the text messages we had. Mm. And it's like, okay, you know, and because I did all that other introspective healing Thursday, I haven't had a really a second thought about it. Mm. So I, I know that I've got everything under control when I yeah. can sit there and know that I'm making the right decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. And you're gaining that confidence within yourself. Yes. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, is my life perfect? Not by a long shot, <laughs> but it's like, welcome it, to life, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, am I a lot happier with the life that I live now? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's what I love to hear. <laughs> yeah. Not a question about it. Yeah, absolutely. So much happier with my life these days. Mm. So 200 hours to get what you have now. Was it worth it? Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. My only, and it's not really a regret per se, is I wish I'd done it from day one. Yeah. Because I'm about, I missed out on a good year of living Mm -hmm. by being scared yeah. of healing. A lot of people are scared. Yeah. What yeah, would you say so to those people? I would tell you, don't let the fear rule the life. Um, I did that for a year after I joined the program. I would tell you to run with it. Let the fear in. And talk to the fear and let the fear know that it's not going to win and it's not going to rule your life. That you're going to heal. Yeah. And listen to that list because what you're doing there, what you basically just explained was your whole process earlier. Yeah. Listening to your heart. Yeah. Not pushing it away. Not being afraid of the fear. 
listen to it mm-hmm. and help it. And also, I mean, that, that's where a lot of us, that's where, I mean, I've, I've lost so many years in my life. You know, it's just like, if I just did this faster, if I just yeah. took this journey seriously from the beginning, and if I really knew and acknowledged what was at stake, because I think a, a big part too is we don't want to acknowledge to ourselves what really is at stake. It can be, I mean, it can be our health. It can be our relationships. It can be our like family members or people, children, divorce, finances, like so much is at stake. And we don't want to look at that because yep. it's heart-wrenching to even think about that. For me, at least, that was something that I needed to look at in order to change. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I had to experience it. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. hopefully hearing this from you and from, from me, people can see that you need to face that, the reality, right? It's like you need to face the reality of the situation if things don't change things are going to be bad like, yeah. for a long time. And like, this really is significant, significantly affecting your life and taking that time, like you said in the beginning and setting that out each and every day is so important. And it doesn't have to take that long. Like you said too, it's like 200 hours. It's like that, like looking back, it doesn't seem like a lot. Obviously, like I know going through it is it's, it's arduous yeah. and it's painful. And you're facing parts of your mind and your psyche that you've pushed away, you know, for a very long time. And it's challenging, but looking back, you're like 200 hours. That's man. If that's I do a one drop hour in the day, hat. Yeah, if I do one hour a day, that's two 200 days. Yeah, that's less, that's less than a year. Mm-hmm. If I do two hours a day, it's 100 days. Yeah, you know, it's a little over three months. Or like yeah. we had a we had a podcast earlier with Jason uh, Saleo, and he did 10 hours a day. Just yeah, because like yeah, because he had he couldn't work or anything like that, and he did ten hours a day and freaking crushed it in a month. He did he ended up doing like over three hundred hours. Yeah, and even that it's like three hundred hours. That's still less than a year. Yeah, it's like that's not that much. Yeah, like it's painful. It's hard to go through it, but also like that's the importance of like learning the tools yourself. Because mm-hmm. imagine putting in two hundred hours at, in therapy. That would take you four years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you had the right therapist. And there's things that like when I don't have you experienced this where you when you're doing a processing session, you can actually go deeper if you allow yourself to have more time with that problem versus like a therapy session where it's like it's only 50 minutes and then you have to cut it short or 30 minutes and you have to cut it short. Have yeah. you experienced that yourself? Where there's just oh, parts definitely. Of where you can you just keep going and going and going and going instead of you know, yeah, toes in like a, like a therapy session and then cutting it off, you, you almost have to like retrace your path and you go down a little bit further and a little bit further. But if you have those long processing sessions and we talk about this with like healing vacations, but it could just be any long processing session. Mm-hmm. Where you just go. Like I remember processing for like four hours straight and I just like, I got so deep and I resolved so many problems in just one little session. I mean, yeah. four hour session, but it yeah. was crazy. Before I joined this program, and sometimes even still, um, we'll be so deep into a therapy session with my therapist that we'll lose track of time and she'll finally notice and she'll say, well, we got cut off the here, but here's the next steps I want you to do. Mm. And I can, I was able to go home even after that and still dig deeper, mm. you know, you know, kind of. And I did this even with some of my processing, kind of mentally 
that the therapist across from me mm-hmm. and kind of had a conversation back and forth. You know, just picturing, and it doesn't have to be a therapist, it could be anybody, anybody yeah. that you trust. You know, you could mentally picture them sitting across from you and asking them and asking you the questions. Mm. And That's in all cool. honesty, that, that that was my biggest problem with protectors was how am I supposed to picture anger sitting across from me? <laughs> and eventually the answer I came up with was, okay, um, I'm going to age myself up. The Muppets. The, the two Muppets. Guys, I know the Muppets. <laughs> yeah. The two guys that are constantly bickering back and forth. At any type of play, song, whatever, and just downgrading it. To me, those two were always angry. Mm. Or even uh, Crouchy from Sesame Street. Um, Is that the guy in the, the trash can? Yeah. No, that's Oscar. <laughs> oh, Oscar. <laughs> oh, man. I real, I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> no, I, I watched Sesame Street going on. <laughs> but, um, you know, you think of somebody angry. And you put them across from you, and you imagine that they're talking to you. Yeah, that, that's how I was able to finally do the protector work was, mm-hmm. you know, put a face to my emotion. Yeah. And for anybody listening, the protector work basically, in essence, like in very, very simple terms, is it bring it kind of goes back to what we're talking about too with like listening to your heart allowing yourself to listen to your heart allowing yourself to listen to your emotions well how do you do that the protector tool is something that we teach that helps people communicate with their emotions in that way so what you can do is picture your emotion as a being or a muppet or a or just a ball of energy or just nothing just like something separate from you or a person um it could be literally anything but allowing that emotion to separate from you and take some kind of form um, so you can have a conversation with it. So you can learn with it. And then like you were saying earlier, Teresa, connecting the emotional mind and the logical mind yeah. while also combining touch. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was, that, that, was, that was a great, great ad as well. Yeah. But the therapist thing is cool. You know, that strategy. I remember doing that early on with, with, with people. And then I got really into like the protector world and i i stopped doing that but if you allow if, i think that's really cool because you you gain a level of objectivity when you can visualize somebody else asking that questions and you gain some separation from yourself so it's like you, you can almost imagine this person who's asking logical objective questions or whatever else right is that kind of what it was like for you or am i oh definitely yeah so that's really cool so it gives you that that separation from your emotion as well and allows you to question those emotions more objectively too, in almost kind of like a reverse way, right? It's like, yeah, instead of removing the emotion from yourself, it's like you're almost removing like the logical part and having the logical yeah. part come in. So that's a yeah, and and that part was tough. What that that removing my logical part of myself <laughs> <laughs> because that logical brain always wants to jump in and give its two cents. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by uh, like removing it? For me, removing the to actually express the emotions at first, my brain would always pop back in and say, "No, you don't want to do mm. that. You don't mm. want to do that." I, I didn't want to do it. 
fear. Mm. So was it your logical mind or was it still your emotional mind that was preventing you? Probably a little bit of both. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Probably a little bit of both. Because the logical mind did not want to deal with emotions, good, bad, or ugly. <laughs> and the and the emotional mind was like, we just want to be happy. We just want to be happy. <laughs> we don't want to deal with any of that stuff either. <laughs> yeah. See these but parts then, of your mind. Yeah. Just yeah but then you bottle away. it all in. And the next thing you know is you're exploding and some place that you should not be exploding at, you know, and, you know, perfect example. I love my sister to death. Mm -hmm. um, and, th and this is what led me actually to go to therapy. I had a certain seat and this is going to sound so much like Sheldon from Big Bang, <laughs> but <laughs> I have my seat in the living room. That is my chair seat. Nobody else can sit there. <laughs> and she came in. She just sat down in my seat. And I just and I'd had a really bad day. I got all this stuff bottled up inside me, and I just cut loose on her. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it, it's a chair. It's a yeah. seat. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, but because I did not. I was not releasing emotions at that time. She got the full force of everything I'd been dealing with for however long. Yeah. Because you don't that, really care about the chair. No. Right? There's all this other stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And after that explosion, it's like, you know what? I've got to get some help. Mm. I've I've got to figure out a way to deal with all this. Yeah. It's gone on long enough and now I'm exploding over a chair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a tragedy too. A it lot is. Of people don't make that connection of like, it has nothing to literally <laughs> when you, when, after you do the work, you're like, it literally has nothing to do with this situation at all. Exactly. In the moment, you feel like it, everything has to do with the situation. And then the people in your life. Yeah. That. And it's uh, I mean, it, it's great that that was like a change agent for you. You know, for a it lot was. of people, it's not. You know, or, yeah. or for a lot of people, a lot of people I you know, live with that or live in that environment, grow up in that environment where like, that's just the norm yelling, screaming from past pain. And then just, they continue that forever. Mm -hmm. So like some people might be listening and be like, it's not, it's more than just a chair. It's like, if, if you dig into that, I assure you that there's, <laughs> there's more to it than just a chair. Yeah. 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 I, she and I can laugh at it now. That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we, we we can laugh about that now, but <laughs> that night was not a good night. A lot of good jokes can come from that too. Yeah. If you can, if you can, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, Grace, I love I'm going to sit in your chair tonight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and she does that. She'll come over and she'll go, I'm sitting in this chair. And I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, humor is a great thing. Did Did you lose a lot of humor with uh with the trauma and the PTSD? Oh, no. definitely, definitely. Because that's one of the most beautiful things that for yeah. me that came back. Yeah, being able to laugh again. Uh, my laughter was sporadic. Um, 
basically the only time I would really laugh was if if somebody told one of those or something hilarious where you know you're laughing from the bottom of your stomach type thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, those were the only types of laughs I really had. It was never the <laughs> yeah, that's good. That you know, you never laughed at simple jokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh now I I can find laughter in almost anything. <laughs> yeah, I remember in college, um, and I'll date myself here a little bit again, <laughs> but um we were watching an episode of Reba and my roommate hated the show, but I watched it every Friday night. And she goes, you're not even laughing in the funny spots. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Really, Reba's not that funny. (laughs) (laughs) But she she is, in all honesty. Now I can go back and watch it and laugh with it. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so Reba was funny. Reba was funny. <laughs> Reba was fun. But I have a dry sense of humor as well. Yes. So Yeah. Um but um and I like those type of shows, but and that's kind of you know, I won't say that's how she was, but the parts that I found funny was more the dry humor. Mm, mm-hmm. But um like Big Bang Theory, right? I yes. haven't watched a lot of Big Bang Theory, but I imagine that. Yes. I was, uh, I, mean, I, I went to school for engineering. So like that was a very popular show within the dorm that I was in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I went to school for math and history. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers. Dates. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, emotion's not a big part of those two things. No, it's not. But, what I'm finding with the history, if you go back and you look throughout history, emotion actually plays a big part in it. You know what I think, too? I think even you, like you and I, we're, we're more analytical people. Mm-hmm. Emotion still has wrecked our life. So it's not that we're not emotional. It's just that we we tend to operate at this plane. It doesn't mean that we don't yeah. have emotions or can't express them or anything like that, or we're not affected by them or our behavior isn't affected by them. It doesn't mean we're purely rational creatures or else. Yeah. We wouldn't even be talking, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what, what were you saying about history though and emotional or emotions affecting history? Um, if you think about this country, perfect example. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the revolution started over taxation without representation, but, a lot of it, uh, Boston Tea Party, emotional response. Mm. Uh, Boston Massacre, emotional response. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, a lot of things get started by emotional response. And yeah. then the tactical people, the analytical people take over to, to do the rest. That's interesting. So like an emotion, like, are there other examples of that? Cause that's interesting. Cause I think there's oh. a parallel to, to recovery as well. So like, I don't know. I just kind of thought about that on the fly. Yeah, uh, no. Yeah. So like there's a emotional reaction that sparks something and then 
Um, stuff gets crazy. And then like the, you have to go in and it's almost like chaos ensues from the emotion. There's one, here's one from down here in Texas. Mm. Uh, the battle of Gonzalez, the start of the Texas revolution. It started with, um, the Mexicans were coming to take two cannons away from the town of Gonzalez, which they were using to help fight off Indians. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of emotion, a little bit of analytical. They refused to let go. So what they did when the Mexicans came, they fired the cannons at them. <laughs> Emotional response. <laughs> um, trying to think of another one. Now, well, it's kind of just like human nature too. Right? Yeah, like a lot, a lot of problems in life. Like even going back to your chair example, it's like emotional response. And then, oh, wait, I got to bring this logical part in and make sense of everything. It's like this big blow up in in your life, Mm -hmm. right? Really shook you awake, right? Like the revolution, you know, United States revolution is like something like blew up and then everybody's like, oh, we got to do something. But yeah, so then the logical mind came in. For you and made sense of everything mm-hmm. and to go through all the all the problems all the emotional problems make sense of it yeah now yeah another one nixon nixon was always afraid that somebody was out to get him mm. so an emotional slash tactical response for him was to bug watergate mm. So, you know, some of the big events in history actually starts with an emotional response. Yeah. And I had never thought about that before now. (laughs) And just off the top of my head. That could be an interesting thing for you to look at is like the the psychological interpretation of history. So now like everything that you've learned from your own discoveries, like you can go back and almost like, because really history too, it's like a study of, or a, uh, the records of like human nature, right? This is, these are, this is what humans did over time. And then you, you can go back and like analyze, well, why did this happen and what was going on in somebody's mind and why did they make these decisions? And that's interesting. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. I don't know. That would be interesting. <laughs> you know, and I actually wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be cool because, uh, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Uh, I've heard the name, but I don't know who they are. He's he's just he's a clinical psychologist, uh, Canadian clinical psychologist. But he did a uh, psychological interpretation of the Bible. Oh wow! So it was his interpretation of the biblical stories from a psychological point of view. So he was looking at it more rationally. Obviously, there's still that spiritual element to it. But that was the first time that I saw anybody interpret like a piece of work like that from that perspective. Yeah. So th- that's why I was thinking like historically, it could be very interesting to interpret basically the stories of history yeah. through a psychological perspective and what lessons you can gain from there. Because even what you said there about the Boston Tea Party, it's like that, that is a parallel to what happens in our own individual lives. It's like this emotional thing happens just like, mm-hmm. you, like again, you at the chair and then the logical yeah. part has to come in. Yeah. If if you want to if you want to fix it. 
And there's so exactly. many, there's probably so many cool lessons and parallels that could be made there too. To maybe societies that don't have the logical part that ever comes in. Yeah. What happens then. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Same thing with Germany, right? Mm-hmm. So like they, yeah. after World War One, and they had that uh, emotional, well, like emotional response where they, they felt like they, they didn't get what they deserved after World War One, and then, you know, obviously Hitler ran or came to power because of that, because of promising, you know, all these yeah. great things for Germany and, and then achieved a lot of great things for Germany, which, you know, um, I mean, you know, short period economically in the short period of time, not yeah. before, <laughs> before the bad things happen. Um, but then and, it, it wasn't controlled, but then the lo- it's almost like this outside logical part. Like if you want to say that, or and some of that was done by emotion. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Well, I'm talking about by the other folks, you know, they're like, well, oh. okay. So that was part of Germany before world war one. We'll let him have that. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we don't want to find another war. He can have that. So, you know, that's kind of an emotional response. Mm. Or, you know, we're not ready to fight another war. We're in the middle of a depression. So we're just going to, you know, let him. Mm. He can do basically what he wants. Mm. So, yeah. It's interesting. To look at it in that way. Yeah. And the motivations behind people and probably learn a lot about yourself too. Yeah. That's cool. So last thing that's really on my mind was just like this therapist that you had. Okay. <laughs> right. It was just like, cause uh, w- whenever we had coaching sessions or talked on a Q and a, you talk about your therapist and how good she was. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, I actually, I don't even know if I've ever had a client who's had a therapist that was like as good as yours. So like, what, how did you find her? What criteria made her good? And what advice do you have to give to people? Oh, and would you recommend looking and looking until you find somebody or whatever, but just talk about that for a little bit. Well, after the chair incident, (laughs) <laughs> I, I, w- I was looking for an already licensed therapist mm-hmm. that would take my insurance that would actually work with me. I really didn't have any criteria going into it. Well, every place that I found was either miles away from me mm-hmm. with the exception of one company. And I was, or they had dates way in the future before they could see you. Right. So it's like, except for one company that I called and they said, well, we'll get your information. We'll see what's available. And then the last person I was expecting (laughs) was still a student, a grad student working on her degree, Mm -hmm. which I did not want. (laughs) But when she called me and introduced herself and told me her background, her background was in biblical studies and working on a master's degree in counseling. I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to give it a shot. 
Mm. I'm willing to give this a shot. I don't know what made me do it other than maybe the fact she had immediate availability in less than a week. But I did it. And now, yeah, you know, there are days where we can just sit there and kind of shoot the breeze with each other and not really delve into a whole lot because things are going so well. But then there are days where she'll sense something and we'll dig into something really deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I honestly look at her more as like a life coach than anything because I'm to the point that, you know, we're, um, we're talking more about what am I going to do next and what are my long-term goals? Mm-hmm. Um, now, last week we had a little bit of a setback where I had to have an emergency session because we had a positive COVID test at work. And that actually was still a little bit of a trigger. That is what I actually lost Alan to was COVID. Mm. Um, and I won't say it was so much of a trigger, but it put that it started kind of a downward spiral that I was able to kind of nip in the bud and I I can get in to see my doctor until Wednesday. And I did not want to see my doctor until Wednesday because my symptoms came up on Monday. It takes three days to get a positive COVID test. Mm So, um, Luckily, I only had bronchitis, but um, my therapist and I, we met on Tuesday, and she's like, yeah, yeah, I just from your email to me, you were just pissed, and I said, <laughs> yeah, I'm pissed, I'm hurt, I'm, I'm really upset that they allowed somebody sick to come to work. You know, not thinking you were just at work Monday sick yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> the day before. <laughs> but um, now, and when, and you know, so we did some processing on the COVID thing. Turned out I'd not have COVID. Not when I emailed her back, she goes, "Yep." catastrophizing see what that does to you <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but um then when we met at our regular session on thursday she's like you're in so much of a better place this week i'm like yeah she goes and she and she asked me she goes is that because you're still on an emotional high that nothing that you thought was going to happen last week happened? Or is that because you're, you've processed it and are actually fine with everything? It's like, I think it's more I've processed it. Now, there, so yes, there are still times that she and I have to do some deep processing But more often than not, we're talking about the next steps or the small little bumps in the road that happen Mm -hmm. that temporarily threw me off course. But as far as anyone that's looking for a therapist, um, 
what I would do now if I was looking for a new one is I would write down, number one, the qualifications I wanted. Number two, what I wanted to get out of the therapy. And that was a question she asked me initially, and I told her I wanted to heal. Uh, a third a third thing I would look for is somebody that's compatible with your personality. Those would probably be my top three things to look for in a therapist. Mm. How many therapists have you had? Was she your only one? Nope. Um, I had like three in college, one out of college, and this one. So five total. What was your experience with the other ones? The ones in college were just for a semester because they were all students. Mm. Um, so, and so, you know, every semester you got a new therapist, basically. Mm. So it was basically every semester I had to start over. And by the time we started making headway, the semester's over. Yeah. Uh, the one I had before this one. While she was good, I just didn't feel comfortable. That's another criteria, by the way. Make sure that you're comfortable with your therapist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this one. That's good advice. Yeah. This one, I can, I can talk about anything at any time. Um, I know I can email her. Mm -hmm. And if she, you know. If and if I need one, I can have a session pretty quickly if needed. Um, but usually, you know, it's like, hey, guess what I learned today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there's only been one time last week was the first time I've actually asked for an in between session. Well, no, second time I've asked for an in-between session. Uh, the first time, now, last Christmas, we planned for in-between sessions ahead of time. Mm. But, um, and that was more because of Alan's birthday and things like that coming up. So we planned for those. But I've only asked for an in-between session twice. The first time was when I was first getting in with protectors and I was having a rough time with this one protector and it really scared me. So I asked for an in-between session. Mm -hmm. And then last week was the only other one I've had. And we've been on every other week since about June of last year, June okay. or July. So in that amount of time, weekend. I've had two in-between sessions that were not planned. Okay. That's the rest good. of them were planned. And in all honesty, well, yeah, they helped me out along with uh, meeting with you during that time uh, in December. They, they helped me out, but I probably could have been okay without them but it was you nice definitely, just you definitely knowing, could have been yeah but it doesn't yeah, mean it, you have to be exactly 
exactly. But um, I'd rather at that point in time, I would have rather had the in between if needed than, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm in crisis. Can you meet now? And her appointments all be filled. Mm. Yeah. But also that might be a really good thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. Because then then you have to like stop and be like, what can what do I need to do? Yeah. Yeah. Resolve this. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I would definitely find a therapist that's all about healing. Yes. And that was going to be my, my, my one point. Yeah. Find a therapist that wants to help you in your healing process. And, you know. Because that's not normal or it's not. No, it's I would not. say it's not normal. Honestly. It's not. It's not. And, you know, I, I've thought about, you know. What am I going to do once our therapy sessions end? Now, because I think after April, we may go to once a month. And then it's like, okay, what do I do in between all that? I might have all this extra time on Thursdays. (laughs) But, you know, but what I've came up with is if we get to that point and we're only meeting once a month, then, you know, that's more time I can put into my healing or more time I can put into writing a book. Exactly. Living your life, right? Yeah. Which is what it's all about. Yeah. That's more time I can do stuff for me. Right. That's like, that's another shift too. After you heal, it's like, you yeah. spend all this time and all this focus on healing. And then when mm-hmm. you need less of it, it doesn't mean like you, you stop doing the things that, you know, keep you mentally healthy, but you have more time and you're like, what do I do now? It's like, yeah. well, now you can live your life. And that's, that's exactly. the next question, right? For you, you want to write a book. Yeah. For other people might be like, I want to get into to better shape or work on my career or whatever. Read some books, you know, spend more time with my, my family, more quality time. Well, it's like, that's, that's the next quote unquote problem. But yeah. 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 And that's a good problem to have is, Heck yeah, it is. <laughs> what do I want to do? What's my next step in this journey? Yeah. You know, I won't have therapy on that day. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've wanted to write a book for ages. Hey, I've got an extra hour in my day. Let's do go. it. Exactly. That's and what's your book going to be about? Well, now I'm torn between which way I want to go. Uh, my first thought was on grief and how it affects your body, mind, and spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm kind of interested in the psychological response in history. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to do some research both ways. Um, I'll probably do the grief book first. Yeah. Just because that's truly near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Well, regardless of whichever path you choose for the book, we'll have you on again to talk about it. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Look forward to it. And um, yeah. So like back to the therapy thing, though, the one thing that I wanted to say again was just like focus. They they need to have a focus on full recovery. Definitely. Be aligned in your goal for full recovery. Because definitely. I think this is what you're going to say, too. A lot of them focus on just management or just Mm -hmm. talking. Or honestly, just complaining to you. I've been to therapists. And that's why like, I just I, I just stopped. I just had so yeah. many negative experiences where it's just like, I'm spending time. I'm spending so much money. 
uh, like I would go to a therapist and she would complain to me about her problems. I'm like, isn't this like a little reverse? It's like, aren't you, you're yeah. getting, it feels like you're getting more benefit out of this session than I am. Yeah. And then I'm leaving $150 for <laughs> yeah. the other thing about mine is she had recently experienced loss, mm-hmm. which is what led her back to grad school. So while I was one of her first clients, I was the actual first client that she was dealing with grief with. So we were kind of able to share our grief journey together. Mm. And that was beneficial? Very, mm. very. You know, talk through it together? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she was able to tell me what had worked for her, whether okay. or not it would very work cool. for me, but she, she actually had ideas mm. that she was willing to share. Cool. On stuff that worked for her. And, you know, I would probably still be blowing up over a chair if it wasn't for her <laughs> and this program. <laughs> you know, because, I, like I said, I'm lucky. I was able to have you guys and a good therapist. And because of that, working in tandem, I was able to completely heal probably a little bit faster because once I started learning the tools here, I was able to take a lot of the stuff she was telling me and apply it to the program as well. Mm. So it was, it was like whether or not my therapist was in front of me or not, I was able to have a therapy session every day. Exactly. Because I I could pretend that she was in front of me and I knew what kind of questions she'd be asking me with the protectors or with the introspective healing. And I was able to mentally ask myself those questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the Q&As on Tuesdays and Fridays um, uh, in the program that Brad hosted Q&A every Tuesday and Friday. You know, if I get stuck, I know I can always go there and get you to help me understand something. Yeah. Because for me, the bilateral processing was the hardest thing to understand. Mm. <laughs> because, really? yeah. But that goes back to the uh, logical side of me. Um you know, touching yourself, you know, butterfly hugging, you know, we're not a touchy-feely family. So, you know, why in the world would I want to hug myself? You know. <laughs> it's crazy. Ho- it's crazy until you try it. That was the hardest thing for me to get my head around. Mm. Now, I wouldn't That's trade that for anything. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I, you know, I had resistance to it too. Cause it's just, it seems so crazy. It does. And then you hurt and then you try it. So like, I do my best to like logically sell people on it, mm-hmm. you know, on, on why it works and how it works and things like that. But it's yeah. a, it's a, it's kind of crazy. You <laughs> and then you try it, it and you're like, dang, this actually really works. And it's really, it's very really calming. Effective. Yeah. It's very calming. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't have ever thought something like that would. I know. <laughs> it's something wild. that simple. It makes no sense. 
Yeah. But it, I, I, it does when you dig into it, but yes, it does. Mm. So if you could leave us here with the, the most important thing or the most important piece of advice, the, the thing that helped you the most, or the thing that you just want to tell people here that will, you believe will help them the most, what would you say? The first step in healing, well, there's two things. The first one step in healing is having a very good routine. The second step is consistency. Between those two things, if if you don't have those two things to lay the groundwork, I don't think I would have ever healed. Mm. So the routine where you're spending the time actually healing. Mm-hmm. Which means you have to know the tools too, right? Correct. So you need to know how to process and then spending, actually yeah. spending that time and then being consistent with that time. Correct. And seeing the importance of that, which hopefully yes. people can see with you because you've made an amazing transformation. Yeah. That would be my two keys. <laughs> awesome. Any last words? <laughs> Any last words? <laughs> <laughs> no, just, you know, I would definitely look into this program if you're looking for true healing because mm. it can happen 100 percent. well thank you Teresa, for this time it's been amazing and i hope everybody here has enjoyed mm. but i guess <laughs> that was awesome awesome that was fun that was fun <laughs> man i love talking with you man that's great that was fun Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It was absolutely amazing. I had an lo- uh, amazing time talking to Teresa. I loved talking with her. We're going to bring her back on in the future for her book when she finishes her book. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on it. Subscribe to our podcast, whatever the channel, and uh, let me know how you liked it. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to coach with me, check out some of the links in the description. No pressure whatsoever. But I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Catch you in the next one.